You ready to get started today? All right, let's go. Let's start off by talking about a word. The word itself is a word that we're all familiar with, and we have all heard it, probably used it, and certainly felt its effect and power. Most people, when exposed to the results of this word, have a visceral effect. It's, it's an inner gut level response. We have been subject to its power and probably have used it to influence other people. It has a worldwide negative connotation. It is so pervasive that even our pets use this against us. Have you ever been leaving to go to work or go to school and your dog, which is normally happy and wonderful and great, suddenly has his ears down, his shoulders are slumped, his nose is down, his eyes are looking up as if to say, oh, go ahead and have fun. I'll be here all day by myself. <laughs> what word am I talking about? Guilt. Guilt is a word that we've all heard. It's all, we've all been subjected to it and maybe... We've used it against some other people. Oh, yeah, that's the other church. Those are all the other people. We don't. You're right. I'm sorry. Guilt has a bad rap. But is guilt bad? Is guilt bad? If your fourth grade son beats up another kid at school, you're going to get called to the school. And when you talk to your fourth grade son and say, hey, what happened, man? Oh, I just beat this guy up. Well, did he do something wrong to you? No. Did he do something wrong to anybody else? No. Why'd you do it? Just felt like it. Well, are you sorry you did it? No. Now you have two problems. <laughs> okay, you got a son that beats up other kids, but he has no guilt. And that's a problem. So guilt is not supposed to be bad, it might make us feel bad. Guilt is intended to be a negative feeling based on truth, which brings a positive result. I would submit to you today that guilt is a gift from God to be used for the purpose of three things. Number one is conviction. Conviction is that inner knowledge, and it can be a feeling, obviously, that, hey, what I just did was wrong, or I should have done this thing to help this person, but I, for some reason, withdrew, and oh, I feel guilty that I didn't help. There's that sense of conviction that lets us know, hey, that that you did is not good. And conviction is supposed to lead to correction. Okay, I, I don't want to feel this anymore, so therefore, I'm going to make an adjustment. There's a conviction that leads to correction, which then leads to conformity, a conformity into the image of Christ, the only one who's perfect and who is our example and our God and our Lord and our Savior and the one we are working to emulate. So conviction to correction to conformity. But if we break down this path in the process of conviction, then we end up with condemnation. We end up with the guilt of our own sin, and we realize then there is a condemnation. There is a uh, punishment coming. There is a problem that's bigger than even the feeling that we have. At the end of this message today, in maybe 20 minutes, 
we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to be worshiping and singing, but this is going to be a time where I'm going to invite anyone who desires, and I hope that many will, to come actually to the front of this building, this room, and spend some time in prayer. Maybe standing, maybe on your knees, whatever you'd like, but we're going to have that experience at the end of this message today. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 8, and you might have a device, you might have a tablet or a, uh, a phone, Romans chapter 8. On January 2nd, I was uh, uh, diagnosed with COVID, and obviously that changed uh, my life for the next couple of weeks. There was a few days there, the first few days, I didn't, couldn't, I, I could read, but I couldn't read, I couldn't focus on anything. But the second week was pretty cool, I read a lot. And one of the things I did was start reading the book of Romans. I started at chapter one, verse one, and it's been a month now, and I'm only on chapter 10. So I've been going through it meticulously and slowly and cross-referencing and just, just pulling out of God's word all that I possibly can. Don't you love doing that, just getting into God's word and say, well, I, I read Romans years ago, and I read it a long time ago, but every time you read God's word, there's something new and fresh for you because the word of God is living it is not a dead book. It's a living book. And so I'm just taking my time and processing this. And when I got to Romans chapter 8, it appeared that this was kind of the hinge that the book of Romans turns on. There's so many things in chapters 1 through 7, but then in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church at Rome, and there's a turning point right here in Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. Let's read says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who were in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... They do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore... Brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That is powerful. And I want to focus back on verse number one. And we're going to pull out three verses from verse number one. And those three words are now, no, and condemnation. But let's do those in reverse order. Let's first start off by talking about condemnation. Every one of us have experienced condemnation. Someone who just lays it on us and tells us, there's no hope for us. We're across the line. We're on the wrong side. We've done so much, so bad. I can't believe you did that. And they just heap that on us. It starts off with guilt, but it works toward you. You're beyond. That's what condemnation is. But there are different levels of condemnation, and much of it depends on whether we are actually guilty of what we're being accused of or whether we're not. But it also involves who is the one Who's talking to us? Who is the one making the accusation? Don't respond to this with any raised hands, but uh, maybe you've experienced a little bit of condemnation from a complete, utter, absolute stranger online. (laughs) Someone you've never met and never will. And yet they have the tenacity to tell you, you are an idiot because you believe whatever you believe or you said whatever you said. Well, you know, you can kind of pass that off pretty quickly, but what if it's a friend at school that suddenly turns their back on you? What if it's your best friend who up to this point has been wonderful and great and all of a sudden there's a transition and a change and there's a condemnation, you're out of the group, you're gone. We no longer want you in the group or I no longer want you to be my friend. You've crossed the line, you've gone too far, now you're on the out. What about a parent? What about an uncle, aunt, cousin? What about a teacher? What about a parent? What about a pastor? But then what about God? Condemnation from God is a reality. Those who are not in Christ are presently in a state of condemnation. It is deserved because of sin, and it is terrifying. We don't honor Him, God, Christ, Holy Spirit, because our hearts are not right with Him. A person who is not a follower of Christ, not a Christian, is under condemnation. There is no hope for their present condition. There's always hope for transition. There's no hope for the present condition, but there is hope for transition, transformation in Christ. But the state that they are presently in is that of condemnation. We were made in the image of God to be image bearers, and yet we have squandered royalty by rejecting the Savior that God has provided and living our lives in sin. 
And what is the greatest sin? Is it a matter of how many sins you commit or the gravity of the sin that you commit? What is the greatest sin? Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, basically, love God and love people. But is there a greatest sin? I would submit to you this idea, the greatest sin that you can ever commit is to reject the Savior that God has provided. Because that is the turning point in all of our lives when we accept the Savior that, Jesus, that God has provided. But if we reject that Savior, we're living our lives in condemnation. John 3.16, we love John 3.16. John 3.17 is just as powerful. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so here we find that God is wanting no one to be condemned. He wants everyone to be brought out of that state of condemnation into relationship. And that's why Jesus came. Which leads us to our second word, which is right in front of condemnation, the word no. Here, the Holy Spirit, writing to the Roman church, says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. What he did not say was there's no condemnation to those who measure up. He didn't say there's no condemnation to those who have done well, to those who pray enough, for those who are positive enough. No, you just need to be positive and you'll be fine with God. No, you can be positively condemned. But what did he say? He said, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not a behavior, but a location. Now, there's a lot of terms that the Bible uses to describe Christians. Um, they're a disciple. God even calls us, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm with you always. Go for it. Disciple is a, is a valid word. Follower. We're a follower of Christ. Jesus called his 12 disciples. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. A follower of Christ. That's good. You've got disciple, follower, believer. I'm a believer in Jesus. Those are all great terms. And yet in the culture that we live in today, they are very safe terms. Because you can tell someone, well, I'm a, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And they can say, hey, that's great. I'm a disciple of Pilates. <laughs> you know, there's, 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 it's just a safe description. But the, the most powerful and maybe the most well-used description of a believer in Jesus, a disciple, a follower, is not the process of activity, but the position that we are in Christ. Now, the reason why that is not so safe culturally is because if there's an in, it necessitates a what? Yeah. And that's where the rub comes with our culture. But yet, the Word tells us that we, as followers of Christ, as disciples, are in Christ. And that's what makes the difference. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is in Christ that we find ourselves after receiving Christ, we are then in Christ and he is within us and that's what makes the difference. That's why there is no condemnation because we are in Christ, not because we're working hard, not because we're doing good, but because we are in Christ. That's what makes the difference. Well, let's go to the third word, which is right before the word no, now. He says, now, no condemnation. I love that word now. Have you ever been to a, a huge banquet, maybe in a big hotel or a convention center, and there's a, just a giant, enormous room filled with round tables, plates, cups, silverware, filled with people, people everywhere, and there's a buffet line of food. You know what you do. You do what I do. You first check out the buffet line. You just got to take a look at it to find out what's there. We, I went through a buffet line one time. I didn't check it out. And I went through and I said, well, I don't really feel like that. And well, that's, I'm not in the mood for that. And all of a sudden I realized I have an empty plate and I'm at the end. It's like, man, all that's left is chicken wings. Well, okay, that's what I'm eating, all pure protein. So you're in this room and the first thing you've got to do is find a seat, right? And there's a huge, I mean, it's a huge room and you know what you're, what you're praying. Oh God, where are they going to start yes. calling? You know where the gamblers sit? The people who love to gamble, they sit on that side or that side. Because they're like, I'm going to win or I'm going to lose. Either way. Where, where, where do the conservative people sit? Right in the middle. It's like, doesn't really matter. They can sit on either side. I'll, I'm going to get some food. So you pick where you're going to sit. And isn't it wonderful as you see that, that server, as he or she goes from table to table and say, okay, you can go get your food now. And you, you know, have you ever been in one of those really big rooms and you just happen to pick the wrong side? Which Murphy's Law seems like it always happens. And it's like three days until they finally get over to your table. And the most beautiful word that you can hear is, now you can go get your food. That word now is wonderful. Now it's time. Now it's your time. Now. This is what the Holy Spirit is emphasizing to them. It is now. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven. We don't have to wait until we're doing better. We don't have to wait for anything. He says, now there is no condemnation. We don't have to wait. We are free now to experience a life without condemnation. And so if all this is true, there is no condemnation. Now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Then how then do we live? How then do we process this on three levels? Number one is we know God at a deeper level. Because now we realize that we don't have to jump through hoops and do a bunch of stuff to please God and to make him happy with us and make him smile at us and go, hey, man, yeah, okay, you're doing good. I like you. Because we realize I'm in the state now of being in Christ. There's no condemnation. God is not putting his finger on me. God's not pushing anything down on me. He's actually lifting me up. 
And so it is the fact that some Christians, they've accepted Christ as their savior, they've experienced salvation, absolutely, and yet some reason, somehow, some way, they have bought into a religious lie that says, okay, you're saved, but you better be good. And you better work hard. Because if you don't, there'll be a time when God will just yank the rug right out from underneath you because you're not doing enough. Now, that lie might have come through someone who you love. That lie may have come through someone older than you who you love. It may have come through a misguided pastor. It may have come through a misguided grandmother or grandfather or aunt or uncle or cousin or whoever. But I submit to you today that if you are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. And you are not saved because you do good stuff. We do good stuff because we're saved. We are in Christ. And so there are Christians who live their life in this inner turmoil and bondage. It is a stronghold that the enemy has developed in their life that says, I've got to be good. I've got to do good stuff. God, I need God to smile at me. And the only way God can smile at me is if I'm doing good stuff. And that is a stronghold that I'm believing will be broken. That is an experience that you are having in your life. I'm believing it's going to be broken today. And you will recognize the fact that you are not experiencing condemnation from God. You may experience condemnation from a complete, utter stranger on the other side of the planet, but you are not receiving condemnation from God because you are in Christ. So let's shed off that absolute deception of the enemy. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Now, that's a powerful statement. He's saying that's what some of you were, but you were washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. He's saying, yeah, you were in condemnation, but you have been transitioned. You have been transformed into being in Christ. And so now you are in the kingdom of God. It's not a matter of one day I'll get to be in the kingdom of God. Right now you are in the kingdom of God because you were in Christ. And so we know God at this level. Secondly, we live in freedom. We're not worried by our past sins or we're not concerned about a troubling future because we know we are in Christ. We get to celebrate God's mercy. I mean, how do we celebrate God's mercy? How do we find that, that exuberant celebration of his mercy? It's actually when we look at the opposite, when we look at the depths of our own sin when we realize the depravity of our heart before Christ, when we realize that we were in bondage to sin, we sinned because we had the nature to sin. And just as what we read earlier, those who are in the flesh, those who are outside of Christ, cannot please God. They do not have the ability to do that. And that's where some of us were. That's where all of us were. Pardon me. We were all in that state. 
And yet, when we look at the depths of our sin, then we looked at the magnitude of God's mercy. We look at the grandeur, the greatness, and realize that though my sin was great, his mercy is greater, and his mercy is new every day. You may have slipped. You may have done something wrong last week, this week, this morning, on your way to this building, and yet his mercy is new today. His mercy is new right now, today. Micah 7, 18 and 19 says, Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Man, that's a great promise, isn't it? That's a powerful reality. But thirdly, we give mercy to others. Isn't it great to give mercy to other people? You see... We realize the depths of our sin and the greatness of God's mercy. And when we do that, how can we possibly condemn someone else? How can we come to a place where where we're just pushing someone down and saying, you've gone too far. I can't believe that you did that. There's no hope for you. There's hope for everyone. And so we are those who give mercy. And we recognize God has forgiven us of all of our sin. And therefore, your sin, their sin, whosoever sin, If God forgave me, God will forgive them. If God isn't condemning me, God isn't uh, condemning them. And so we actually become safe for other people to be around. Christians who understand we are not under condemnation are the safest people to be around. People gravitate toward us because why? We don't condemn. We don't push them down. We're building them up. We're gracious and kind and compassionate. We recognize that they may do something that we don't like. They may do something that is actually sin. We don't condone sin. We don't just wink at sin and say, hey, it doesn't matter. It really does matter. But what we do is say this, you know what? I hope you won't do that because it's wrong. But even if you do that, I'm still your friend. I'm still with you. I'm not going to turn my back on you. God didn't turn his back on me. And I'm not going to turn my back on you. Man, that's the safest place for sinners to be, right close to a Christian, right? Because then there's the hope and the understanding, hey, I'm showing you the love of Christ. And so then we become actually safe to be around. We do not condone sin, but we also do not condemn because of sin. Psalm 103, 11 through 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You see, when we stop condemning ourselves, we stop condemning others. And when we recognize that God is not condemning us, then we stop condemning ourselves. When God, we realize God is not condemning us and we don't condemn ourselves, then we don't condemn other people. We're willing to give grace and love. Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. What you've received is grace, give it. What you've received is mercy, give it. What you've received is a pardon of all of your sin, be willing to give that. Spread that, give it out. I'm going to finish with a verse out of Hebrews, and this is a powerful verse because it shows a a tremendous balance. It's almost like an oxymoron, but we see the power of God's word. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You just see the tension in that? He says, this is what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to approach God's throne with confidence. Now, every one of you can approach your boss with confidence and say, I worked, give me my paycheck. That's, you could do that with confidence because you did the work. But see, when we come to God and need grace and forgiveness, we can't go to him and go, I deserve it. And yet we're to approach his throne with confidence. What he's saying is don't, don't, don't come to God and, and have doubts about his forgiveness. Don't come to God and think, oh, well, maybe he'll forgive me and maybe he won't. He says, no, stand with confidence and receive the grace of God. You can't demand it but you can receive it. You haven't earned it, but it's a gift. And so he says, with confidence, receive the gift. With confidence. Now, Christians, there's nothing you can do to make God like you more. Nothing you can do to, to make him smile at you. He's not condemning you. He never will condemn you. You're in Christ. Therefore, you have everything you need, not only for this life, but also the life to come. Yeah, doing great things, doing works, that's powerful. You see, grace and works are not a problem. They, they do not collide. They go together. Grace and works, there's no collision. Grace and earning, now they don't mix. There's a difference. We do good works because we're in Christ, not to get in Christ. So are you in Christ? Or are you in condemnation? You're here today and you say, well, I'm not a Christ follower. I'm not. I submit to you the truth. You're in a state of condemnation. But that can change today by accepting Christ as your Savior and saying, God, please forgive me of my sin. Please, I'm, please forgive me. I want to be in Christ. I want to live my life for him. I want to submit to his leadership. I want to submit to his grace. I want to submit to his mercy. And that's that point of transition where you go from a state of condemnation to a state of complete and utter forgiveness and in right relationship with God. You will be in Christ. Pray that today. God, forgive me. Come into my life. Let me be in you. Lord, I'm going to follow you the best I know how. But Christian, today, maybe you're here and you say, you know what? Man, I, I never really studied that like that. There's, there's now no condemnation. That's good news. And I want us to take a time and respond to this in prayer. And say, God, I realize the depth of my sin, so therefore I can realize the depth of your mercy.